It is a center for higher learning. It is a place with centuries of secrets in its shadowed halls. This is where you have come to learn the mysteries of the cosmos. Welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast, episode 77. This is the podcast dedicated to Call of Cthulhu and other horror and Lovecraft-related role-playing games. I'm Keeper Dan. I'm Keeper Murph, and in this episode we discuss getting past the effects of overthinking things. And I'm Keeper John, and for the main topic we brainstorm some of the horrors as yet unknown. What does that mean, John? Tell me. Seriously, what is that topic? I will. Oh, good, because... I'll be learning then, too, I guess. Miskatonic University Campus Crier. Campus Crier's Miskatonic U student paper. Here's we're going to go through feedback and news. This episode is recorded on April 19th, 2015. First piece we have up here in the crier is that there is a new uh, rock opera-style album coming out from the group Casablanca. They are doing a concept album called Miskatonic Graffiti. It's a weird little Lovecraftian thing that is described as Ziggy Stardust meets H.P. Lovecraft in Twin Peaks. So, (laughs) yeah, that's definitely out there. A thing, yeah. I like uh, prog rock, uh, so I'll, I'm going to try and find this and give it a listen. Yeah. Because yeah, why not? Why the heck not, Dan? <laughs> well, that's supposed to be out later this spring. They don't give anything more specific than that, but it just kind of caught my eye. So next up we have uh, Warpo, our friends at Warpo Toys. They've teamed up with Skinner for the C2E2 exclusive Legends of Cthulhu action figures which are basically going to be at the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo. I had to look up C2E2. I had heard the name as that, but never a definition of what that actually means. Yeah, it's like, I guess it would be C squared, E squared. Yeah. (laughs) Would be a better representation of what it actually means. So that's the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo. And it's, uh, these toys look really cool. They've got... It looks like the same molds, yeah, they're repaints. but they're different. Um, yeah, they're different repaints of it, and they look really cool. So the Spawn of Cthulhu has got a bunch of red in it. Um, the Cultist has got a little bit different uh, garb on, and et cetera. They're just different variations on the ones we've already seen. Mm-hmm. But they're pretty cool looking, too. But it's just neat to see, you know, exclusive figures for conventions. Yeah, it's really awesome. It's cool so yeah if you're going to c2e2 then please go over and uh head to the warpo booth and yeah grab some of these and then mail them to us all yes <laughs> <laughs> i've uh i've already picked up uh the regular spawn of cthulhu and the the regular investigator so i've got those and opened up the packages and put them on my desk nice. so they're cool yeah, i have the uh spawn of cthulhu it's still in the bubble pack um 
mainly because if I take it out, my uh, my son will um, claim it if he comes over because, you know, <laughs> it's an action figure. Yeah, I, I'm basically waiting to uh, hit my local comic shop to see if they carry it on uh, free comic book day because everything in the store goes on sale. So I should uh, actually have, you know, decent paycheck by that time and I'll be able to actually hopefully pick these guys up. Very cool. And there was a little article I saw on io9 that was basically just a nice little love fest for Call of Cthulhu. And it's uh, basically kind of a nice introduction to it for people who aren't that familiar with how uh, Call of Cthulhu works. But it's got just lots of awesome stuff in there. There's also a little interview section down at the bottom with uh, Sandy Peterson. Very cool. Nice. Yeah, it's a good article. I read it. Yeah. It's not bad at all. It's got a... I liked it just because it has like a cover of virtually every version of Call of Cthulhu. So it starts out with like version four and then they show mass and then they show like version three or two. Yeah, it's three. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they show the sixth and then, you know, I it just, it's, it's really cool. They got a bunch of the old stuff on there mixed with some of the new. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And it's just, it's a well-written article. And also, I went ahead and, and took the plunge and took a look at the uh, feedback below it. Most of the time on websites, mm-hmm. I'll just I'll avoid comments like the plague because it just attracts the worst sort of folks. But this was actually pretty cool. Yeah, we got to mention. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> which is always. Good. Yeah, that was a neat thing. thing. I forgot about that part. <laughs> but it's basically there's just yeah. lots and lots of people in there given stories about the game and uh, the things that they've enjoyed in it. And, you know, I think there was, you know, one of the, let's see, I think there was one guy who said that, yeah, that was a little bit incorrect. Uh, without deities and demigods, there would have been no COC, except for COC yeah, came out come on. several years previously. So yeah. <laughs> he's obviously one of the younger Yeah. Ones. It's like this revisionist history yeah. is not quite holding like your up. publication dates, dude. No big deal. But yeah, no, I'm happy it's, to see it. There's a, there's a lot of replies to it. It's really yeah. cool. And I don't know. You know how they, they kind of pick and choose their replies anyway. So it's, um, you know, it's quite good. Yeah. Some of them are really interesting. Um, and, and we did, we got a mention in the first or second, uh, yeah. Someone linked out like a crap load of mythos resources. Uh, podcasts yeah. and uh, resources in general. Yeah. And we got a mention in there. Yeah. There's um, which I thought was really Dogs cool. Thoth and us and good friends, Jackson Elias and Ken and Robin talk about stuff and unspeakable oaf, Arkham Gazette, and it just uh, lots of publishers. That's fantastic. That was a really nice post by old, old, old one. Right. Cause he's <laughs> the old, old, old one. So whoever you are, I'm guessing you're a listener since you put us on the list there. So I thank you. you. We really appreciate that. Mm. Um, I I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, I finished the writing for Age Cthulhu number nine, The Lost Expedition, and it has completed the uh, editorial process with Pookie. Uh, So we've got all all the the manuscript is done, and we have forwarded forwarded the manuscript on to uh, Joseph Goodman and it is now going to layouts. Nice. Very so cool. we're going to start uh, doing the art and doing the laying out of the uh, 
of the book. And so hopefully it'll be, hopefully it'll be ready. I'm, I'm hoping it'll be ready for Gen Con, but we'll see. Sweet. Yeah. So that's cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yes, new, dude. Yeah. Another Age of Cthulhu from John. Yay. <laughs> see, I see a trend happening here. I, yeah, right now this will be the third in a row that uh so but whatever that's fine yeah i whatever. enjoyed it yeah your, your name on covers well, no, that's nobody awesome. else is is been doing it oh yeah that, that is fun that is fun whatever it's like it's it's like it's become my line nobody else is, has been contributing so mm-hmm. and we want contributors so if you have a you have an adventure you want to tell send it to us well, not uh, us particularly, but send it to Goodman. Yeah. Oh, yeah, send, yeah, send it to Goodman Games. Don't send They're it to us. If you send we it can us. look it over and yeah, say, you, great job. We'll play it. But that's about it. We <laughs> we can't do anything else. <laughs> we could, yes. you know. By us, I meant Goodman Games. Yeah. Send it to, uh, send it to, and, and don't include me because I have no, I have no influence. So uh, what you mean is, is don't send it to right. us at all, uh, John. You mean send right. it to Goodman Games. Yeah. Okay. Send it to Goodman Games. <laughs> yeah. Just so we're as cleared as mud on this, yeah. you know. They're a publisher, so they Correct. can do something with it. Correct. I'm. I'm. It's funny. I'm. Uh, I'm running a playtest of this right now with uh, my coworkers because um, I end up having enough people at the office who are interested in uh, Call of Cthulhu that uh, uh, usually about twice a week over the lunch break we'll 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 get a conference room. And we'll play Call Cthulhu for an hour. And they go, okay, wrap it up. We're done. You know, and, and just, you know, play in these little chunks at a time. So that's, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> and it was neat because we started, you know, I'm running the play test right now in, in sixth edition mm-hmm. or fifth edition or whatever, you know, but during the, uh, uh, editorial process with, with Pookie, we discovered that we need to upgrade it to seventh edition. So I've, I've, already updated the manuscript got everything reset for seventh and uh i know i'll run another play test of this with another group of people and then that play test will be done in seventh edition so. okay and that's it for the news part but we have a big old chunk of feedback since the last episode dropped that's awesome we never get feedback. bam yeah it seems to happen like that where we'll go for you know, several episodes where we don't really hear a whole lot uh, coming into us, and then just some episode just sparks people to write in. So we've got a couple of emails, a couple of voicemails. Shocker, we got a couple of iTunes reviews, too, Yeah, that, that's that's fairly friggin' rare right there. Yeah, we don't get those terribly often. No, not at all. So, yeah, let's get into this here. The first one he- uh, email up here from Chris uh, hi guys, good to hear your riffs on the Commonplace book series. As Winston P. mentioned on the forums, others have also used the CB for ideas. I have a small catalog of them at a link that we will put in the show notes. I'm not going to bother reading this out, which includes artwork as well as fiction. So that's definitely worth taking a look at. It's a really cool list, too. Um, he, he basically did what we said that someone should do. Only he did it far previous to our mentioning of it. Ah. Uh, therefore, I mean, listing out the influences each one of those items has uh, had on various things. So it's really quite interesting to read. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just flipped through it. It was pretty cool. I liked it. 
Lots of good details in there. Yeah. Then uh, Chris goes on. As for name checking Ebon in my Ibon, whichever <laughs> in my 1998 bibliography and concordance, I found 63 separate entries mentioning Ibon the Wizard versus the Book of Ibon. Don't have an accurate count of what it's up to today. So it's 63 entries of uh, Ebon being used as a actual character, you know, person. So there's definitely stuff out there in the game world. Yeah, it's very cool. pretty cool. I'm assuming that's mostly just name drop and name checks, but yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, we have. Oh, that was from. Uh, do we say his name? Do you want to say his name, or, or I don't know if we should or not. It's from Chris, is what we'll say. Yeah, I don't want to give his. Yeah, name. I'm. Yeah, I, there was no specific mention saying. Yeah, go ahead and list my whole name. So, if that's yeah not in there, then we're just gonna shorten it down. So, let us know what to call you when you send in a message. Right. Uh, also uh, from Keeper and Training Kent. Hey, Keepers, I just wanted to shoot an email over to you to let you know I love the podcast. I've been stumbling across the live play feed and eventually turned to the regular podcast. That's, an, that's good. I'm glad. Uh, you guys are great and always give out helpful information. And then he has this very uh, a longer section. He says he doesn't have to be read on, the, on air, but... Um, Too late. Yeah, we're sadists. So, yeah, do it. Um, yeah, it, it's because of the podcast why I ran my first session of Call of Cthulhu, which is also my first experience with a role-playing game, period, which is fantastic. Yeah. That uh, is ran, awesome. That is really awesome. I ran the opening scenario of The Thing at the Threshold because of your live play. sounded so fun and like something I could handle as a new keeper. Uh, the session went well and did it very similar to your live play. Upon seeing the ghost of Peter's mom, I like this addition during the live play. One character failed their sanity roll and began hallucinating. Once the shotgun formed in the middle of the cellar, the same investigator failed another sand roll and rolled a 19 on their sand loss roll. Uh, taking cue from a live play, I had him essentially begin worshiping the Shoggoth. Unlike Murph's character, however, my player did not send his character into the Shoggoth. He did, however, take offense to his fellow player trying to kill his newfound god and filled him with rounds from a Thompson. Oddly enough, both characters survived. One ended up in the asylum, and the other one lost the use of an arm. Uh, a quick question, since I'm new to Call of Cthulhu scene, can you briefly tell me the differences in the different systems? In essence, uh, Trail of Cthulhu, Delta Green, etc. So, thanks. Uh, you guys have helped me find a great new hobby to explore with my board game pals. Uh, keep up the good work, and go pods! That was again from Keeper and Training Kent. Yeah, so um uh, first off briefly awesome work. Yeah. That's really <laughs> oh my cool, God. Dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like the uh worshiped him like a god. That was uh th- and then taking offense. Um yeah. <laughs> taking offense at his other buddy. That's great. Uh, I should have thought of that. Well, um, you almost did. I mean you pulled I out your did, gun yeah. and was looking to uh shoot somebody if they made moves against it. But Okay, so the question in here was specifically about uh, differences in other systems. Uh, I'll take the easy one first. Delta Green, the new version, <laughs> okay. hasn't been so released yet. Take the harder. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to take know. 
Delta Green, the old version, uh, it's using the BRP system. Yeah. So the, the mechanics are exactly the same. Yeah. The only difference is the setting, basically. Um, the setting is that you play an agent of a government um, conspiracy type thing. Think of X-Files, I guess, uh, in which you investigate uh, mythos horror stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's the easy one. And John, uh, why don't you explain trail? <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Uh, no trail. Uh, yeah, tra- yeah. I mean, trail. Trail. I think is. Uh, I think they wanted it to kind of feel the same, but just run smooth more smoothly. Um, because I, I, you know, Trail of Cthulhu is based on the uh, Gumshoe engine, which is a. Uh, it's an engine designed to to make investigative role playing easier. You are given clues. You don't have to uh, earn your clues. They just are presented to you and then it's how do you use them from that point uh and then as far as uh, mechanics go it's a, a single d6 uh system so by having a single d6 there's no bell curve it's truly a one in six chance of getting whatever number you need on the cube or better uh and it just depends upon at uh, what the difficulty level is you're trying to achieve, whether you need to roll a four or better or six or better, and uh, you can spend uh, points from some of your skills to enhance that role. I don't understand the system very well, but it, it feels like it would be a great system for doing investigative role playing because of the uh, the fact that the clues are given to you and and uh, your skill list is a, is much more. Um, condensed right, yeah. you know there's, you get there's the clues, less to pick from yeah you get the clues regardless of what you do and then how much the clues help you depends upon you know how well you re, you yeah. did prior to that i think is mm-hmm. how if you goes. do point of spins take, or roll really well you simply yeah. get extra detail for the clues but the right. basics to keep the plot moving are just given are by default always there. which is right. depending on what skills you have basically whoever has the correct investigation skill going into a scene they're the one who gets the clue so i know it just and it's a great idea Mm -hmm. i mean i've been trying to put that into my regular call cthulhu games yeah yeah that's something that we can adapt quite easily into regular call cthulhu and then so far as other games the majority of them are based on brp um to be completely honest basic role playing which is the rules system for that Chaosium uses for Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, and, and the only thing that changes between the vast majority of them out there are the setting. You know, so you have World War Cthulhu, which is set during the war period. You have you know all sorts of different genres of things. Also, you, you have a bunch of different games which take up um, different styles of role playing game in general, which have then been uh, made into a mythosy game. So stuff like um, Oh, like Tremulous, I guess, or um, uh, some of the the minimal RPGs where there's no die rolls. Uh, it's all or very very minimal die rolls, I should say. Um, like um, I just went blank. Um, but what's the what's the one that we played at Gen Con? Chad, Cthulhu Dark. Uh, Chad, thank you, Cthulhu Dark, um, by Graham Walmsley. Um, those are all mythosy games, but they're um, very light rules games. So they're, I mean, like the rule systems for those are only you know like five or six pages long, um, and they're they're a lot of fun to play. But they they 
rely more heavily upon the actual role play aspect of yeah. it as opposed to more of a uh, narrative a based kind of thing. Yeah. It's a narrative narrative thing instead of a dice mechanic kind of yeah. thing, which is nice to have a change once in a while. Yeah. To, without to a doubt. They're fun. Try too. something different. So yeah. Uh, tremulous is a uh, very narrative driven and, yeah. uh, uh, it was interesting because I, I had played tremulous not too long ago and, you know, the, and, I think all of the players were guilty of this where we wanted to do certain things and we were assuming that there were dice rolls that had to be made for certain things. And it was, it's a, it's a, it's a different concept. You, you know, in tremulous, you uh, don't have skills or per se, but there's like these uh, different story actions. So you have to, you know, the, the game master will say, okay, that sounds like you're going to be, uh, you know, pushing your luck or something. I don't have my tremulous book, uh, uh, handy right now, but, um, you know, there's these different story actions. And so you have to, okay, if I invoke that story action, then that triggers these aspects of my character. And, and you roll, I think again, it's a single six out of die, uh, for that. So there's a lot of different games out there. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of them out there, but I mean, if you want to, if you want to just look at the basic, you know, the, the basic uh, groupings of Mythos games, the majority of those are going to be either uh, BRP-based systems or, uh, and then you have Trail, which is very popular as well and uses the Gumshoe system by... Um, Robin D. Laws. Robin, yeah. Robin D. Laws. created Gumshoe and then Ken and then Height created Trail of Cthulhu based trail. on Gumshoe. Right. So uh, then we ended up with, uh, because the feedback wasn't enough. I mean, three emails for us is pretty freaking good. Um, but uh, no, then we get voicemails. And in fact, we got this one from uh, Brett Kramer, our good buddy, uh, right after the last episode dropped. Hello, Miskatonic University podcast. This is Winston P. with a few notes about vampires. I greatly enjoyed the most recent episode. I will say I would put 15 quatloos on Keeper Chad as he is a vicious killer. Um, Regarding vampires, there were two scenarios I think are worthy of note. One is Remains to be Seen from Coming Full Circle, the Pagan Scenario Collection um, by John Crow, the same author as Bumps in the Night, uh, which you recommended. It is a New England vampire scenario. Um, You might want to put spoiler tags on this. The other one of note is Grave Secrets by Brian Cordemanch from Terrors from Beyond, uh, which is pretty clearly inspired by the case of Mercy Brown and a really great scenario. Uh, Speaking of Michael Bell, the the linked article, he also wrote a full book um, called Food of the Dead from 2001. It's been reprinted a couple times. It's very much a good read um, and is superior superior to similar books. Christopher Rodina's Vampires of New England, 2006, and Thomas D'Agostino's History of Vampires in New England, 2010, um, neither of which are nearly as good and generally cribbed from Bell. Finally, um, I'm sending you a link to a journal article about a body that was found in Connecticut in 1994 uh, that looks to have been uh, regarded like a vampire. Uh, based on the state of the skeleton. So enjoy and keep up the good work and go pods. Thank you. Very cool, Brett. Thank you very much. And the, um, the, the, the link there will be in the show notes. Then next up, we have a uh, voicemail here from Keeper Ant UK. 
Good afternoon chaps and greetings from across the pond. This is Keeper Ant UK from the forums, wishing you a slightly belated many happy returns on the third anniversary of your excellent podcast. Not only is it informative, but the humour and camaraderie between you guys just keeps the show bubbling along. I do have one minor complaint. Some sort of health warning is probably required for impending laughs. A little bit of warning in advance. Thus far, whilst listening to the show one out running, it's been the cause of a dropped water bottle, a mildly twisted ankle, a runaway dog, and a near cardiac episode for a little old lady. I hope she eventually found her dog. <laughs> whilst running, I also now live in almost constant fear of sudden spider monkey attack, or an ape with a crossbow. <laughs> After listening to the recent article about vampires, I wonder, are you guys aware of a British TV series from the 90s called Ultraviolet? It stars, amongst others, Idris Elba and Jack Davenport. Its relatively modern take on vampires is quite interesting, and it's definitely worth a watch. Well, that's all from me for now. Keep up the excellent work. This is Keeper Ant UK. I'm enrolled at the Miskatonic University podcast, and as I believe is customary, go Pots! Thank you very much. <laughs> and we're that sorry. Awesome. Thank you, Keeper Ant. <laughs> 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 or you're welcome. We're, Whichever we're sorry one's more to the little old lady who lost her dog. <laughs> well, and almost had a cardiac arrest, I guess. I'm not sure what how that all came about, but either way, it was worth listening to. Um, we have links to uh, the Ultraviolet show in the uh, show notes, along with some yeah. links to the uh, Amazon where you can pick up the uh, series on disc. I haven't seen this yet, and I'm I really like Ildris Elba. Um, and I think, uh, Stephen Moyer is in it as well. And so I'm, I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to pick that up cause it's also got Colette yeah, Brown. I'll have to it's figure got Colette out Brown in it. it so, it, I mean, a way to get that here in the States gotta watch it. easier. Cause the, uh, the U S Amazon link is like a used DVD set for like $80. Wow. But the Amazon.co.uk link, it's like 30 pounds for the whole series. So I'm uh, hmm. I'm not sure of a venue to be able to purchase or or view this in a streaming capacity. So, but I've also I also I found a Wikipedia entry and also a YouTube clip of the uh, like a trailer for the show or something like an advertisement. So, so yeah, thank you very much for the recommendation, Keeper Ant UK. Very cool. And we actually got iTunes reviews. Shut up. It's been a long time. Yeah, it has. And we just kind of got three of them in a row. Just bam, bam, bam. It's really cool. So the first one is from John the Nomad. Um, thank you for being so nomadic and coming across us and remembering to put an eye to, to review up. I just real it says, go pods. I just realized I've been listening to this podcast for years. Every time fly, either time fly, I can't talk now. Either time flies when you're having fun or the Migo have altered my perception of time. In any event... This is a fun podcast for anyone who wants news and ideas for horror role-playing. Thank you very much, John the Nomad. Yeah. Yeah. And all three of these were five-star. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Uh, let's see. Next up is uh, Nicholas.AFS uh, from uh, Chile. I think it's Chile, John. Chile. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Previous joke. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, tug along with Keeper Dan and his gang, oh, part of his gang now, okay, of uh, oh, oh. MUP Keepers <laughs> <laughs> for a deep dive into Call of Cthulhu uh, role-playing game and Lovecraftiana in general. 
each episode has a main topic, gathering of interests. Uh, it's, it's catering. Catering to the interests of keepers just stepping into Call Cthulhu and uh, those already hardened by successive campaigns against the Mythos. Mythos? Get a sense. <laughs> I, I always say Mythos. All right. Uh, get a really? sense you of say what Mythos? I do. I don't know why. I don't uh, either. Probably, probably from listening to a lot of uh, British uh, podcasts and stuff. That's uh, I don't think they say it that way either, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah, they, yeah, do. they do. Okay. Oh, different. Uh, get a sense of what is happening around the Lovecraft interested world with the campus crier and enjoy a good time with the faculty members and their interviewees from different publishing houses. If you're into Lovecraft or into the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game, then the MU podcast is your place to be. Go pods. Thank you, Nicholas. It's awesome. Yeah. That's a really well-written review and tells people what to expect. Thank you so much. Really cool. Then the last one here is from, Bart Knight here in the U.S., and uh, subject was First Stop for All Things Call of Cthulhu, and then the main content is I really en- a really enjoyable podcast with all things Call of Cthulhu, as well as a few other general horror and Lovecraft-related materials. As a total novice to the mythos, this has been a wonderful introduction to them and inspiration for pulling together a game of my own. Very awesome. So, i thrilled that we're able to help you out and and get things going for your own game that's the whole point of why we did this exactly yeah it's very cool i i mean come on those are just awesome the whole lot of them yeah i mean that's a lot of feedback guys Mm -hmm. yeah getting itunes reviews is something that isn't all that common because it is an extra pain to have to go you know, into your iTunes program and all that and, and find something and then enter it. It actually is kind of a hassle to do. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. It also helps quite a bit, too, because it puts us up a little bit higher in the in the little rankings there in yeah. iTunes. So we show up. That's more the often. theory. Anyway. Yeah, it's a theory. But you know how it is. Yeah, it's it's a pretty strong one. See, I Apple doesn't say anything about how anything works. So... It's theorized with that the reviews actually help push us up in the rankings when you look at the lists of podcasts in the various categories. And so we're hoping that's actually the way that works. <laughs> and for other podcasters who may be listening, I had these reviews emailed to me by a service online called mypodcastreviews.com. And they have a free account with that where you can set up one podcast that they watch and once a month they'll send you your iTunes reviews. That's cool. So you don't have to keep uh, going back and back. mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll just come to you. Yeah. And uh, you also with the global community, you actually have to point iTunes to look at a specific country to see the reviews. So like I would have completely not seen the one from Chile. Oh, cool. So this service actually pulls them in globally. Very neat. That's and if you nifty, do yeah. one of their paid plans, then you also get Stitcher reviews emailed. Oh, wow. Oh, that's cool. That's pretty cool. So I'll probably move to that later. So for other podcasters, do it. Very awesome. Uh, so last episode, we had an exciting announcement where we announced that we were switching to a patron model for uh, supporting the show. 
And in the two weeks since we announced it on episode 76, we have three backers, which brings us over the initial goal of $20 a month, which is flipping awesome. Man, thank you yeah. guys. That is no idea how much that's going to help out, really. Yes. I mean, that's yeah. fan-freaking-tastic. That basically makes the show self-sufficient in its current state. That's about the monthly general uh, expense of uh, tools and hosting, uh, and, server, yeah. and all that stuff. So, yeah, thank you so very much, you guys who have done that. That that really, really makes this uh, much easier to do on a regular basis now. Yeah, and we're breaking even. I've already, <laughs> woo, yeah. Which for a podcast isn't very easy to do. No, no, because we've uh, we've sank a, a, an insane amount of time and money into this, and uh, it's mm-hmm. nice to actually get a little bit, uh, not profit, but I mean at least to break even. That's all you can hope for. Yeah, and anything that does come in additional will simply go back into the show. Yeah, it's me. We don't have real lives. <laughs> yeah, there are additional services I would love to, you know, be able to do and. Those are money based. So, you know, if anybody else wants even, you know, we've got two backers for a dollar a month. That's awesome. Thank yeah, you. I, I'm flabbergasted. It's it's unbelievable. Uh, anyone would take their yeah. uh, their hard earned money on a monthly basis and give it to us. It's, it's mm-hmm. just mind blowing to me. But yeah, I, I'm I'm tickled pink. Yeah. And our backers on the uh, Joyride campaign have already started receiving the $20 a month uh, bonus, which is basically our show art that has not been reduced down to an 800 width to fit better on the website. So it's at like a full, you know, 2000 pixels wide version of it. And uh, which so they let's, get let's go ahead you know, and, nice and mention that giant. if if you haven't seen the show art from last episode, it is freaking <laughs> phenomenally funny. I'm just saying. Yeah. And I'm not doing it where certain levels get certain things. It's just anyone who's a backer gets the stuff. It's not a specific buy into any kind of thing. Although certain levels themselves do have their own extra perks. But, uh, you know, the the show art... You could put in a nickel a month and you'll get it. It's it's a JPEG. <laughs> it's not a big deal. <laughs> so there's no extra expense on my side. It just means I keep a copy of the big version before I shrink it down. I can't do past show art because I never kept the big version. I just took the original and shrunk it down. So I would literally have to recreate the images from scratch in order to make them the big size, because you can't really take a small one and inflate it up to large size because, well, it'll just distort. But I still had last week's in my uh, Photoshop, so I was able to do last week's art. And so going forward, yep, those will be out there. That's awesome. Very cool. And for our Cryptocurium Spotlight, the parcel of terror had a baby. No way. It's a packet of terror. There's now a packet of terror, which isn't a subscription. It's just a one-time thing, and it's essentially like the uh, uh, the little uh, prop sets, but it's not really props. This is the ectoplasm edition of the packet of terror, which is Ghostbusters theme. Yeah, 
It's oh gonna stay God. puffed marshmallow, man. I'm just saying. Yeah, a little, uh, little mini fig statue dude of the Stay Puft Marshmallow yep. Man, and a glow in the dark Slimer magnet. Yeah, that's really cool. And then you've got, you know, the uh, the Hellhound. What is it? Minion of Gozer. Yeah. Zool. Zool, uh, the gatekeeper or the keymaster, rather. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one it is. Yeah, it it could be either yeah. one. And then a little field uh, notebook, little one of his little notebooks. This one was the ghost, uh, you know, the Ghostbusters logo on the front. Yeah, so it's Ghostbusting field notebook. Very cool. That is so cool. Yeah, and it's a limited edition of fifty sets. And so, uh, pop on over there and take a look. I really, really like that little Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Yeah, it looks really. And cool. I think he's going to look really good next to my. Uh, Godzilla and Mecha Godzilla up on the uh, <laughs> shelf of my computer. I wonder if he's going to do more of these uh, these little packet of terrors, you know, that are themed. I think so. You know, it, the first packet of terror is how it's phrased. Oh, good, so yeah. these don't have a set schedule for when they're going to be produced. Just when he has enough of but the same just, kind of genre themed mm-hmm. knickknacks laying about, I guess. But yeah, it's really yeah. awesome. Yes, indeed. That's a neat little thing, and especially for uh, Ghostbusters anniversary and, you know, recently. And just go over and take a look. It's really cool. Glow-in-the-dark Slimer! <laughs> it's, really, it's really quite awesome. And we have our very first listener-recorded segment. Yay! From Janitor John on the forums. <laughs> Janitor John, you know, yeah. I ran into Janitor John once uh, over in the theology department. He was sweeping up. He looked more like a residual human resource, but uh, <laughs> a likable fellow either way. <laughs> Hi, I'm Janitor John here at the Mississippi University. Been down in this uh, damn basement quite a few years now with my uh, dog Bowser. I tend to be the person that does the cleaning of the place, lost and found. I have students asking me plenty of questions about cheap living and where they can find things and little props and tips. So this is my first opportunity to talk to you as, uh, as keepers and players about Cthulhu, whether it be Call of Cthulhu, Trailer Cthulhu or any other role-playing game. Because we know that out there there's plenty of new shiny things to buy. New things that are exciting, that are expensive sometimes. It's great to be part of the whole community. But let's not forget that, to use an old saying from where I come from, you don't have to be a tackle tart. As an ex-fisherman, I used to see people with all the gear, with a new shiny rod, with the new nets, new waders, or preparing to go out and catch themselves a big fish. And all really you need is a line, a rod, a hook and a worm. And the same goes for this wonderful thing we call a role-playing game. Let's not forget that you don't need to surround yourself with new shiny things and buy things every week. There are things, everyday things, that you can use to encourage the narrative, to engage with your players, to inform the story. And that's what I'm going to be talking about in these episodes.
Even rummaging through uh, the old drawers in this place, you can find things that are uh, useful and can be used in your game. Only the week, uh, one of the students asked me, well, Janitor John, how do I I keep my group engaged? How do I keep them on track? How do I... uh, encourage them to follow the story and and uh, not forget it and we talked he talked about using uh, a variety of different methods to do that and then i found him uh, an old book an old scrapbook an old exercise book and we spoke about the fact that one of the easiest ways is to simply ask the group to write the narrative to draw the narrative to stick in the narrative as they go along They can draw their characters, they can elaborate on the storyline, they can come back to it and review what clues they've got, they can highlight areas which they think are in particular importance, they can doodle, they can draw, they can colour in, They they can be as artistic as they would like to be. And that really engaged the group. An exercise book, some pencils, a pen and a bit of imagination. Damn students again. I've got to go. Um, Catch you later. Couching paper and pencil. It's time for your side topic. And for our side topic on this episode, it's one of those uh, things that were, it's kind of just a discussion idea. And somebody came up with the idea for talking about analysis paralysis, which can have a number of different connotations. And I think the most common one that I hear is where you've got a group of players that are so concentrating on trying to figure out the right course of action that they don't do anything. And whole sessions can be wasted by just trying to figure out where to go or what to do. hopefully not whole sessions. Hopefully the keeper gives up before then and just gets mad like I do, starts throwing things, cursing violently, <laughs> and then forces them along the way. Or not. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's one way. A potential <laughs> solution. I, uh, I'm i running a playtest uh, for for the, the, the latest scenario that I wrote for uh, Goodman Games, and I'm running it with coworkers. Uh, so we're, we're playing at the office, in a conference room, uh, during our lunch break. And most of the players are brand new both to role-playing and to Call of Cthulhu. And it's interesting because we've had a couple of sessions where this is happening, where, you know, before we started playing, I was thinking to myself, okay, I think depending upon where I start the players uh, for this scenario, because that's actually one of the things I, I... I really liked about this scenario is I wrote different openings depending upon if you wanted to play and add this to a long running campaign, you know, there's a real uh, longer buildup where you're meeting certain people and you're traveling and you're doing things versus a uh, a convention play, which is what I tried to to run with these guys where I start kind of past all the intro stuff and you're just now immediately kind of getting to the uh, uh, location you're going to start your investigation just boom right off the bat so i thought well this will be maybe four maybe five hours worth of play and i really thought it'd be interesting to track that in four to five of these lunch sessions of gameplay and we've already had two of these sessions where the characters and the the players are are getting together and they're like what should we do here and how do we advance here? And I'm, and I'm just letting them go, you know, because it's, it is kind of helping as they, um, 
do a lot of idea spinning and, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, as any, uh, you know, experienced game master knows, you're just sitting there in the background taking notes going, yep, I'm going to bring that up later, you know, and, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do this to you later. But uh, we'll have entire hours go by and we'll look at the, the clock and go, okay, it's time to go back to real work now. Let's button this up, you know, so. Yeah, yeah I, analysis process is dragging this out. I found that, um, and this is slightly, I guess, slightly off topic, but whenever you're playtesting a convention game, it's much easier to do it when you're not doing it with your regular group because your regular group is so uh, in tune with each other, at least even after a few sessions, mm-hmm. that they're going to do all sorts of crap that will never happen at a convention game because at a convention game, you know there's a clock. You know what I mean? And you're trying to get as far as you can possibly get on that clock, you know, because you're not going to get another chance to pick up afterwards, most likely, right? Mm-hmm. And so right. yeah, most of the p- convention playtests that I've been in that have been successful have been like Skype games with people I don't normally play with, you know, with Shannon or Eddie Poe or... Uh, Treblix or somebody of that nature where we're going in thinking, okay, this is a, we've got five hours, we got four hours, we got to get this done, you know? And so we go in and, and it's a completely different mentality whenever we um, start playing as opposed to, uh, I just wrote a scenario for um, the laundry files RPG that I just started running my group through yesterday. And I figured it would be about, it would be a little bit, I mean, it's not designed to be a convention game. So I figured it would probably take us maybe three sessions, maybe two, two to three sessions to get through, which for us is, is around eight, eight to 11 hours, right? Um, however, they spent um, two hours doing nothing but acquiring gear and requisitioning items in the laundry system. And I mean, it's it's one of those things that it would never have taken that long had it been, uh, you know, like a pickup group or something like that or at a convention, you know, that never would have taken that much time. They would have been, okay, I want this, 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 and this. We'll make our rolls. We'll be done. It's 10 minutes. We're done. We're moving on. No, two hours later, you know, we finally uh, resolved the things in order to uh, move forward. Uh, so that can be, there are a lot of forms of, uh, in, triplicate. You know, in triplicate and there's, there's requisition items. There's the budget uh, financing sheets. There's, I mean, all of these crazy, no, not really. But um, I mean, a lot of that was because we're still fairly, fairly new to the system. So we were trying to, to see what we could get and stuff like that. But even still two hours is a bit much, but at the same time, it was a lot of fun. So, I mean, that's why, that's why we play the games to have fun. And I wasn't, really trying to simulate a uh, you know a convention setting because i know that this will never be played in a convention so yeah so i mean it does happen it happens to everybody it's, it happens with my group quite a bit because they get they'll get lost just off in another never world um bsing between each other or, or contemplating the what in the world is actually going on on a topic and I've I, I was joking earlier when I say I'll just start cursing and and say move it along. But if you've listened to the live plays of masks, then you know that actually has happened a few times. Mm-hmm. Where I'm saying, look, you guys are we really have to you know move this. Come on, seriously, I'm getting bored and I'm the keeper. Let's please let's move on forward some because uh, otherwise we'll be here for the next twelve hours doing absolutely nothing. I mean, but that's hopefully you've tried other things before that comes to <laughs> fruition. Well, you know what I mean? And you made a you made a 
good point as far as you know the people who come into the playtest if they're thinking that there is a clock they play faster that's exactly what's missing in the group that i'm playing with over lunch you know because we're we work together every day and we're only doing this uh, gaming actually we're doing it we're trying to do it twice a week and then based upon other schedules and whatnot that usually kind of breaks into it so twice a week is is what we're getting but it's because we see each other every day we're we're together yeah. every day and doing all this stuff none of the players even though i brought it up several times i said yeah i want to try and get through this in four to five hours so that'd be four Not to five sessions happen. none of them are carrying that mentality to the table and bringing it to the game they're all thinking hey we got plenty of time to to, to right talk this about can this take us the next this. eight months because this is yeah, fun and i'd rather be, be doing this than something else and <laughs> yep especially yep, so. at work i can see why i mean that would definitely anything is a uh is a will detract you from the work day is a good thing you know what i mean sure so yeah. but yeah the, i mean basically that is a a normal group that you have now john just in a very odd setting so i mean that's why a play test for a convention game at that group is, is going to take, you know, oodles and oodles of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Am I, am I on base with analysis paralysis at least? With oh that yeah. No, I think okay. everything yeah. you said was like spot on. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And for, okay. So for this flavor of analysis paralysis where it's the, the player group is just kind of spinning in circles without picking a specific direction to go in what are the things we can come up with to help them break past that loop and actually progress with the story Um, so i use idea rules and spot checks uh to give them crap that they should have found that will push them along the road you know so if they're stuck on one thing and they haven't mm-hmm. found all of the items in that location that will actually push them in the direction you need them to go. Not necessarily railroading them, just getting them off of the one topic that they've been talking about for the last hour and a half. I'll, I'll call either a spot or, a, uh, or an idea check so that somebody can find the dang piece of evidence that they've been standing in front of for the last hour and 45 minutes and have not seen. And, and knowing that that one piece of info is going to completely alter the situation at hand, you know what I mean? Um, and that happened yesterday as well, where the, the group was standing around a, um, a cave in Lancashire uh, and were standing literally in front of a very pivotal piece of information, um, but never bothered to search around the cave. They, they were very interested in what was inside the cave. They went down the cave. They fought a little bit of something and then they came back up but they never looked anywhere further so i forced their hand essentially in order to for make them see this uh so that they could go oh well that's there that changes everything and then that got it moving again so i mean that's that's always a possibility you can take a direct action like that as a keeper to try and you know push the the story along some would you make them roll for that or just give the clue to them in, in I, a that, fashion, you know, Trail of Cthulhu style? It depends. So, like, I did both yesterday. Uh, in one situation, I, I, I forced a spot roll. Knowing that a spot across five players, somebody's going to freaking get it. You know what I mean? And that that panned out. Uh, and then another one, I did, uh, I actually, I think I called an idea check and everyone failed it. And so then I waited a few more minutes and uh, that backfired on me. So what I ended up doing is 
in the laundry system, if you're familiar with the, the novels, they have uh, baggers and cleaners, these other groups within the laundry that support groups, basically. Uh, and they had to call in the cleaners to, to kind of clean up this occult mess that they had dealt with um, in this cave. And then the cleaners I used as NPCs, they actually were the ones who found the clue and then just flat out informed the characters of it. Uh, so that they could, you know, move along with it in that manner. Oh, that's good. Mainly, mainly because they they failed their roles. Uh, that was, I mean, they had roles prior to the idea check. They were either just not skilled enough to make, or just flat out failed numerous times. And so I I had to force it along, and that's that's how I did it. Thankfully, the laundry system has a number of inbuilt uh, methods of doing that uh, with the uh, support groups that the player characters can call in. So it makes it a lot easier on the keeper end of things as it turns out. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did there. You know, uh, another uh, method to, uh, to deal with the analysis process. I, I don't actually have a anecdotal story for something like this, but I was just imagining, you know, you might have a scenario where the players can't decide on, you know, which path to take, you know, do we go this way or do we go this way? You know, the other way, you know, do we take this mode of transportation versus this? And maybe, you know, the keeper needs to uh, assign a clock or something, you know, an unspoken clock to some of these choices and eventually start removing options. Uh, you know, do we go by car and go this way to follow the cultists or do we take the train? Well, you know, if they keep arguing about it, hey, the train's on a schedule. As a keeper, I just make it take off. And now I've removed one of their options. Now they're, they're going to be forced to take the car to follow the cultists. That kind of thing. So, you know, I think a keeper should think about maybe putting a clock or expiration on when certain options become available. Yeah, that's a good idea, especially in relation to the story itself. So if you have a clue that's sitting in front of them, that clue is going to disappear within, you know, X amount of time, you know, or if they leave that scene uh, so to speak. So, you know, you can force their hand in that manner as well. Yeah. Which is very similar to advice that's been kind of attributed. I don't know how accurate it is to being an actual quote, but uh, for Raymond Chandler, when in doubt, have a man come through a door with a gun yeah, in right. his hand. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's good advice as well. That, <laughs> that definitely will, forces the situation yeah, forward. Basically, Break the yeah, break the stalemate of processing and thinking about something by doing something proactive to them and force them to face the situation immediately rather than thinking about the ramifications of things. It's nice to actually have players that think about the consequences of actions, but the downside is being right. stuck in a yeah. loop of trying to figure out the most optimal no, I think thing that, that, that might not work uh in all situations you know um for instance in my case i didn't want to give away what the and i don't want to give it away now either because they're all friggin' listening but um i don't i didn't want to give away the mm-hmm. the what's really going on you know what i mean um, so having a guy show up with yeah. a gun there's only a few options of who that could have been and that might have played the hand I wanted to play way too early in the game. So, I mean, you have to take that into account as well. Of course, it could be a red herring as well. Well, if you're taking yeah. it literally, yeah. 
But like what you did with having a uh, a member of the organization come up and say, hey, right. I found this. Essentially the same thing. Yeah, that's that's an point. equivalent. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. I was, <laughs> you know, he was talking about, you know, Crime writing yeah. detective novels. Yeah, I didn't even think of it in that manner. And when you get kind of, when you get stuck, well, this will actually get the story rolling again. <laughs> Another possible angle for the the idea of analysis paralysis is from the other side of the screen in that you're running things and this could be, you know, while you're actually in the session of trying to figure out the absolute best thematic way to have an event take place. But if you've got players staring at you, yes, something's wrong. That's the, uh, don't worry about having perfect. Perfect is the enemy of mm -hmm. good enough. <laughs> and a, just another get it out really there. good quote, Dan. Um, is that, is that in this website I as guess. well? <laughs> I don't know. That could be a Kramer original. No, <laughs> that's, I, I heard it before. I don't know who it was that, you know, had potentially originated that one. Well, it's, but, uh, I, I like it and it, it makes does. a lot of and sense. You're describing a scenario that, that I'm going through with another, uh, uh, horror game. That I'm running with my, coincidentally enough, with uh, some other coworkers at at work. I'm trying to do a lot of gaming at work. I'm not really doing a lot of work. I'll say that. Unless and, your uh, boss is listening, in which case you work quite hard all the time. Right? Exactly. Everybody. Very very hard. Uh, but the uh, the game that I'm also running is uh, one of uh, Fantasy Flight's new survival games. Uh, the 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 zombie survival. Into the World series. Have you all heard of that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about that. Yeah, we talked anyway, about yes. a few episodes back. We've, okay. we've yeah, talked about right. it on the all show right. a few times. So I'm trying to run that game as a as a sandbox, which is really, really new for me. Normally, I, you know, I'm running scenarios, and I, I they have a beginning and a middle and an end, and I know where the arc is going. But with this sandbox universe, it's, everything's so open. But I really thought it might be fun to try and do something like that and it has been fun but i've run into the situation now where the characters are trying to be on the move and they're, they're trying to go from point a to point b and i'm you know i'm trying to make things interesting for them during the journey and and give them some options and try and i'm really trying to distract them from the the goal that they want to do and and actually you know have them fall into something different and i've had things like they came over a hill they were they thought they heard something they sneak over a hill and they look and they see a building where there's a chinook helicopter landed on the ground blades are running and they see a guy in a hazmat suit run from this building into the helicopter and then the helicopter starts to take off and it doesn't go that far, but they don't. They don't try and follow the uh, helicopter. They don't try and follow and see what the hell is going on with the uh, the guy in a hazmat suit. So then they keep driving, and uh, you know, I have this idea for this these hazmat guys, and I wanted them to encounter them. So then they they drive a little further, and then they see off to the to the left the three hazmat guys, and they're they're in a field of zombies. But because in my world the zombies are blind and they they hunt by smell the hazmat guys are invisible to the zombies so they're just walking around in this field of zombies and they're not being attacked and uh you know and, the, and then 
they see the hazmat guys start pointing at the truck that they're in and like, Oh my goodness. They, they, you know, like there's, there's survivors and the guys, they just hit the gas and they just kept on going. So they're running away from every option I'm, I'm presenting to them. And I'm like, all right, guys, I need to kind of put the game on hold because I need to figure something out. I'm in a, this analysis paralysis where I can't figure out what to do to, to try and make this, you know, engaging and interesting for them because every time I, I put something up, they're just like, forget it. And they just run away. I'm just like, are we playing a game or we just want to run away? Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things where you're gonna, it's inevitable to find a point where you're not going to know exactly what to do in a situation because your players yeah. are going to throw things at you that you honestly didn't expect regardless yeah, of how well I mean, you players know will always take you by surprise there's just no there's no getting around that especially yeah. especially when you which is part of the yeah, joy I mean, of especially when you playing games. four or five people in the same situation they're all going to come up with different options and then they're probably going to settle on the one that you've never even possibly thought of which is typical but makes it fun mm-hmm. at the same time uh there's another aspect of analysis paralysis that i thought of as well um which john might be more familiar with uh which comes even before the keeper end of things well yeah it comes on the writing end of it you know when you're trying to plan out the scenario and you find yourself staring uh at the same bs for the last 15 hours straight and you cannot figure out how to move it along or you get so stuck in a rut about um, you know one small piece of this uh, scenario that you're writing uh, that you're completely unable to to move the plot forward and before you realize it you know you spent 10 hours on the same small details which in all honesty will have no effect upon the game and will just uh, probably be glossed over in the actual play of the game itself so I think that's another Another thing we should mention, at least in passing, is uh, is that you know where where the actual writer of the scenario can come up. You know, if you're the keeper and planning out your game ahead of time, you can get in this this situation where you find yourself you know worrying about somewhat trivial items. I know I do. Um, you know, uh, where it's not ultimately important to the to the game at hand as players, uh, but it it fills out your world as a keeper. Um, and at some point, you just have to, you know, scream uncle and, and run away gibbering into a corner in order to, to get past that, you know, just to force your own hand, you know. So I was curious, John, how do you do that? Because I know you've done that mm-hmm. where you've gotten stuck on one thing. You've realized, damn, I've, been, I've just spent, you know, X number of hours doing this one small little segment that's probably not going to have much impact. So how do you force yourself out of it and just get yourself back on track? Well, and you're right. I mean, and thankfully, it's one of those things where if you're by yourself and you're the only voice that's trying to work on that manuscript, that could be a hard corner to get out of, uh, which is why I'm I'm very glad to have an editor when I work on the uh, Age Cthulhu books. So uh, sometimes it's after I've written the entire manuscript. Sometimes it's also been in chunks and pieces during the uh, process of, of writing the manuscript. I'll work with uh, Pookie and man, he's got some great ideas and, and he'll, you know, absorb and, and take in the stuff that I've, I've already written and presented and go, okay, what if, you know, and he just presents a lot of what if scenarios. What if you did this in this manner instead, or you put these two things together and did this here instead, you know, I had this idea for 
doing the uh, the different ways to start uh, the new the new book that I that I just finished uh, uh, the Lost Expedition, and I was you know I wanted to have a campaign mode and a uh, convention mode, and it was a little bit vague, but I had this idea for this, and I, I presented the ideas to him, and but I was stuck. I just couldn't get any further. And Pookie came in and said, "Okay, well, this is a great start. What if you did this, this, and this in the campaign mode, and gave these different ways to do this?" And then in the convention mode, he, he really liked because for me that was what was a lot more clear. Is if I was going to run this at a con. I want to start here and do this. And he goes, that sounds great. And so we tightened that up and then he helped me get past that hump that I was on for the uh, campaign mode. And to, to the point where one of the, uh, so there's three ways to start in campaign mode. And one of the ways is this uh, in media res. So where you can just start the adventure. And I don't think this gives anything away, but your investigators and the caravan that you're, in and with are under attack from bandits so you just boom start the adventure under attack and then you do a a couple of flashback scenes on how the uh the adventurers were the investigators were meeting with this uh, liaison and putting the the expedition together and then starting the trek into the uh, into the desert and then that's when you end up catching up with where you started the game under attack, and then you continue on from there as you get to the uh, to the expedition site that you're trying to get to. But yeah, that was yeah. Uh, so if you're working by yourself, it's a lot harder to get past those uh, analysis paralysis in writing. It it does help to have other eyes, editors, be it editors or proofreaders or whatever, uh, or just a friend, you know, just to kind of bounce ideas off of. That's that's how I think. Uh, the writers can get past the analysis process. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's, it is a problem for pretty much any situation you're going to find yourself in of potentially just going, okay, which way do I go with this? And you spend so much time trying to think of the best way that you just don't go anyway. And that's not going to get you anywhere. So the only thing I can think of as far as the best way to break past it is to simply break past it, which isn't (laughs) terribly helpful. But just even if you just uh, take a randomizer of some sort, roll a die and say, okay, if it's, you know, flip a coin, roll a die, something where something makes a a call on where to go. Maybe if you're writing it, the, uh, uh, if you're on your own, at least, uh, enforcing some some time constraints might be helpful as well. So, so you, you I know that there are some uh, writers out there who use a uh, a timer based system when they're outlining and stuff like that, so they don't get stuck, you know, on one topic for too dang long over this giant outline that they're doing. Um, so you set a timer, say, okay, I've got 45 minutes that I can spend on each topic you know, individually brainstorm for that one point on my outline and then go at it. You know what I mean? And then when the timer ends, you know, Mm -hmm. you shift to something else just to keep yourself moving. Otherwise you'll, you know, you'll fall into that hole. And of course that doesn't always apply, but I mean, that's another method of doing that as well. Or some, some sort of, I think the biggest problem there is to realize that you're spending that much time on it. You know, where whereas a lot of times you'll look up and, oh, crap, three hours, 10 hours, 15 hours have gone by and you've done nothing but this first section. 
you know, and uh, you have to have some method of being able to realize how long you've spent on a certain item, um, whether it is a timer or some other method of, of breaking it up, anything that can break your, your concentration out of that one subject for long enough to give you time to do something else and then reflect on it. It's going to be enough to really go, okay, I need to just shift for a moment, you know? That is a great idea, actually. I, I, mm-hmm. I may try and do something like that. Yeah, I did it some for this, um, yeah. for the one that I wrote for uh, this laundry one, because there was a couple of times at the beginning where I was all over the board, and then I forced myself to do one thing, and I found myself far too into that one thing. And then so I started, uh, not a literal timer, but... You know, and I'd, I'd get into it and then if I'd look up and I'd seen it been an hour, then I'd force myself to go into something else just because I knew that I was going to get bogged down into that one topic forever. And nine times out of ten when I do that, it's going to be of the fashion where, you know, I, I'm coming up with innate little ridiculous background BS that nobody's ever going to come across but me. You know what I mean? I'm writing for the keeper at that point instead of the player. And while that's fine to an extent, to the extent which I was doing it was was not fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's cool. Good idea. Yeah. Once more, I'll help Settle down now, class. It's time for your next lesson. All right. For the main topic, this is a recommendation that was sent to us by our uh, friend Brett, who sent us in the voicemail earlier. What is each host's dream book or project for horror RPGs that doesn't already exist? Could be a setting, an era, a campaign, a book of scenarios under a theme, etc. Wow. So basically, what type of stuff would you just absolutely love to see as a a thing for Call of Cthulhu. I mean, that's a that's a really broad and hard question because it's it's like you think about something and you mm-hmm. go oh wait but that does exist I could do that yeah, no. now with this uh, the the one thing that I've been coming back to is uh, uh, I have a buddy of mine who's written a comic book called Revere uh, published by Arkea studios uh they're, they're the same people that do uh mm-hmm. mouse guard oh and uh yeah. so revere is a it's it's obviously as the name implies it's uh uh with paul revere and it's set during the you know the american revolutionary period and uh paul revere was uh not only uh giving information about the movement of the british but also the um uh the movement and the, uh, the, the, the machinations of vampires and, uh, werewolves and harpies. And, you know, so he's writing, uh, my buddy, Ed, Ed Lavalley is the writer and creator of, of Revere. And, uh, so he's created this comic book that, that deals with all these, uh, classic monsters in revolutionary America. I think that would be a really cool. I think that comic would be a really cool, role-playing game horror role-playing game so it wouldn't necessarily be a call of cthulhu i think it would work best if it was still the uh the gothic monsters you know but i, I think that'd be fun yeah couldn't you use like um the yeah, that, colonial coc thing well you 
could, yeah, but is the, that, that's not a that's not an actual option. product right now. Oh, that's true. All right. Yeah, fair enough. Good point. Yeah, John. it's it's still in progress. So hopefully it will be finished up and available soon for people to play in the era because that era is a really good idea for a game setting. Yeah, I like that era in general. Um, it's not one of my favorites, but I mean, it would be nice to have that that void filled as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of surprising that it hasn't already been done, but like, oh, well, that's now that I think of it. No, nobody has done that. So that'll be nice when that finally comes out. I forget what the publishing house that's working on that is one that is. 60 Stone? 60 Stone. I'm pretty sure it's six, 60 Stone, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Murph, did you have any ideas um, for things, something that, you know, would just be like pie in the sky? This is the coolest thing I would love to see for our... I think particular I, uh game system i mean our well not for our, our well i guess it would be our particular game system but um uh, you know when you get down to it i mean rpgs are such a product tie-in nowadays that it's hard to come up with something that hasn't been done already but i really like the idea of of uh high medieval fantasy cthulhu mythosy thing i know it's about as vague as you can get but I like the, and that's kind of already there with like some of the sword and uh, sorcery and sword and sandal type games, but more of a, um, you know, a knight on horseback meets mythos kind of thing, I guess would be uh, what I was looking for. I don't think that's been done, at least in that particular subgenre, but I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, I, I, everything else that I can think of has been done. That's the problem with this is that you know you've got crap loads of rpgs out there so every like book i was thinking of book series that i liked you know that i read quite often or have read and really enjoyed and almost every one of them has been done the only other one i could think of that hasn't would be and it might have been done and i don't think it has though would be like the first law series from uh from uh, joe abercrombie uh, english author who you know the uh, wrote the very gritty um, fantasy novels, which are absolutely fantastic books. Um, I don't think there's a, an RPG for them yet, so that would be cool as well. Um, but that would be a second, I think, to the high medieval fantasy mythos tie-in Interesting. Thing. So, you know, closer to D&D than uh, it would be uh, for uh, Dark Ages. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, not in the Dark Ages, uh, you know. that. Well, not really yeah. even, I wouldn't even say on Earth. Honestly, I think mine would be uh, the the yeah. optimum one would be like alternate reality with still mythos beasties, you know. So you end up with with that almost D and D type. Well, I hate to use that analogy, but that fantasy role playing kitsch, you know that that particular genre yeah. of RPG with mythos tie into it. Hmm. I think that would yeah. be fun. Yeah, I I think that would that would be a lot of fun. For me, it's largely I really love location-based setting books. So I'm happy to see a book come out for pretty much any place that I'm not familiar with or places that I am particularly familiar with. That it's just neat to see something that's been kind of retranslated into a mythos kind of concept. You know, I would uh, love to see, say, oh, what else? What all type of locations. You know, I know Dreamhounds is uh, a uh, Trail of Cthulhu kind of idea, but what about just a Cthulhu mythos 
source book for a, like a Secrets or Shadows of Paris would just be cool. I think that, you know, that city has so much history behind it. I think that would just be neat to see and just just to read, even if you don't run mm -hmm. anything there. When I came out here to South Dakota, that's when I decided that at some point I really want to create up a Secrets of the Black Hills book. Because there's a lot of history here and a lot of potential for Cthulhu Mythos style stories. And there are just a lot of places that haven't been explored very well. And uh, even like, say, the northwest part of the U.S., you know, that whole area. Uh, we've got Canada that has been very, very minorly mm -hmm. touched on. You know, I would just really like to see more location-based source guides in general as far as edit eras possibly i am a sucker for sci-fi so i i know we have had a uh, an increase of the future-based sci-fi style cthulhu gaming but i would just like to see more i uh, i really love that idea most of the mythosy things actually come from outer space and it would be kind of cool to have something where you kind of accidentally stumble across maybe the origin location of from some of these things yeah that would be pretty neat and i agree with you i like i like the yeah. um i like location-based sources as well there's a lot of i mean crap loads of places that haven't had one i think that you might be able to find like an rpg that's covered it in some form or fashion uh, and you might be able to like piece it together but you know who wants yeah. to do that but actually having it be for Cthulhu Mythos-based investigation games, be it for Trail or Call or, or anything else, it would be just really nice to have, you know, more detailed source books. You know, like when the London one mm -hmm. just came out for uh, World War Cthulhu, you know, that's a huge, wonderful resource well, because there's such a long history to that it's Cthulhu city. Cthulhu Britannica, that... so it's not World War Cthulhu. Oh, okay. Same, same yeah, yeah. publisher. But yeah, yeah. But no, I agree entirely. You know, that's I, the the cover that came yeah, to it's my mind. I, but, I, uh, I agree with you. I I was tickled ten shades of pink when that came out. Unfortunately, I couldn't get it on the Kickstarter. I just didn't have the funds. But I, yeah, I really really like like comprehensive location source books like that as well. Those are a lot of fun to read just on their own, and then they give you just crap yeah. of ideas for what you can use in general you know we've got so many fans call of cthulhu has so many fans around the world that uh i, I would think that there'd be plenty of people to, that could crowdsource either with each other in in their region or uh you know be a a solid resource for a writer to flesh out different location source books our buddy hugh is not, not just in australia but, you know, because most people think of, of uh, Eastern Australia, he's on the west side. He's Melbourne. You know, I would love to see, you know, Western Australia focused source book, you know, in, uh, as well as an Australian uh, source book in general, you know, but do something that not a lot of the game or not a lot of the, uh, the, the game material has covered. I know I know some, you know, like there's an area in masks. That's in uh, Australia, but uh, beyond that, I'm not, you know, directly aware of of other books that that cover Australia. I'd love to see a source book for that. Well, there's a there is a uh, the, yeah, um, and, 
Yeah. Melbourne isn't yeah, was, Western Australia yeah. at all. Well, Melbourne, first off, is on the East Coast, where it everything is? in Australia is. on the West Side. Actually, it's well, on it's the Southeast, south. but it's part of southeast. that area with, uh, you know, nearer to Sydney. It's, it's half the distance between, like, Sydney and Adelaide. On the West Coast, the only thing on the West Coast is Perth. Perth, that's on the West. Okay. That's yeah, so... And then second, there is an Australia source book that's been in the works for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, and our friend Tristan is actually uh, in that. And he uh, mentions several things that will show up in that book every once in a while whenever they decide to publish it. Oh, so there's another yeah, oh, Australian yeah. book yeah, they're updated, on the way. Um, and okay. it's Because I have Terror right, Australia. The same book. It's updated. It's got new scenarios. It's got new info. It's got all kinds of new stuff in cool. it. And he's been talking about it for the last year and a half. So eventually, I assume it'll come out. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic! But yeah, Melbourne's on the east, not on the west. I was thinking. I just didn't want to didn't want to hack off all of our uh, our no no. And uh, we are by no way comparing Perth to Melbourne in any form or fashion. Whether you <laughs> are in Perth or in Melbourne, it's not a slight to anyone. <laughs> just remember, no. we're ignorant Americans who've never been to either. Oh places, yes, so. I'm, I'm extremely ignorant. <laughs> But so, yeah, that's I love setting location books, even for other games. I've picked up setting location type books. I I know I picked up or at least looked through like back in the day, I would pick up Shadowrun books that were focused on a specific city just to see what it had in there. And I know that there was one that I looked at that was Shadowrun that even listed like where I was living at the time in the Dallas Metroplex. And so it was kind of cool to go through that and go, hey, there's my, there's Irving. That's where right. I live right now. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. That's just kind of cool. It was really, really yeah. awesome. And they, they did a lot of the, you know, back in the heyday of RPGs when that was, you know, it was all publish, publisher house stuff and White Wolf and Paradigm and Pinnacle and all these other people. I mean, they put out just massive amounts of, supplement books for stuff like riffs and i mean just all these different places and those are still around you can still find those they're a little out of date now but i mean the the stuff is still Mm -hmm. there so it's always good yeah yeah because scenario books are great you know and themed scenario books around location are awesome like uh Sleep the City. You know, that's a fantastic New York book which also kind of doubles as a New York source without a doubt and so that's very nice to have for if you're running something in that area, you know, grab that one and take a look, see what extra details you might be able to bring into the environment. You know, especially when something's written by somebody who knows the air- area well and can really bring that local feel to the writing. That's extremely helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oscar Rios and both uh, he and uh, Tom Lynch are from the New York area and mm-hmm. working on that golden goblin yeah. breast. You know, they, In fact, they have a new book yep, coming out. They soon. love their city. And so they, <clears throat> yeah. Well, and uh, golden goblin has a new uh, book coming out uh, with another area, the Caribbean, they, they got the terror of the Caribbean coming out soon. Oh I for, I for, yeah. Got out that, that uh, Oscar, Caribbean, but they have a, uh, snuck that out there. <clears throat> they have a Kickstarter. That's going to start soon for the Caribbean. Ah, uh, cool. But, that's a great environment that hasn't been covered in much detail. Yeah. Uh, Oscar was just interviewed on uh, Unspeakable Oath, and uh, he, he talked about when they were going to do that book, certain things were just off the table, 
like uh, deep ones and the Bermuda Triangle. So they, they okay. The, the the authors had to be really Just really too, creative. Too obvious. Yeah, too obvious. So the authors had to be really obvious or really creative and use the mythos in very unique ways. Sand dwellers. Ooh, that's good. I like that. Sand dwellers. Swimming sand dwellers. Beach dwellers. <laughs> they wear they wear flip flops. Yeah. They have long dreadlocks. <laughs> <laughs> that's good though. I like sand dwellers for for the Caribbean. That's pretty cool. A lot of a lot of voodoo too, yeah. some zombies, you know. That'd be mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah, yeah. We've gotten some source books for specific cities, but even just having regions would be nice. You know, there's you know, we've gotten I think both San Francisco and LA I think have had source books, but you know, it would also be nice to see something that was just sort of a general west coast southern west coast book that covered a big chunk of that. So that way, if you didn't want to do something as specific as a, you know, this one city, you know, that's partly what I was thinking of with my book idea of doing the Black Hills. That's actually covering a very large area that uh, you can bring in all sorts of cool stuff. The Black Hills area, that would yeah. be cool. It's it's beautiful. It's old. It's got a lot of great uh, native culture to uh, work with. The uh, the natural environment just lends itself to just a lot of very strange beauty. You know, like the Badlands and uh, Devil's Tower and a Wild West. You know, Wild West setting for that. I mean, I know there's Deadlands, but. Um, with a more um, pronounced mythosy flavor would be pretty cool. There might be one, actually, now that I say that yeah. out loud. Is there mm, one? I don't think so. Not yet. I thought, I thought Chaosium put no. out something that was kind of a weird yeah, West I, I kind of remember thing. that now that I say it. Not yeah, sure. they've got... Uh, yeah, I remember... Was it a fiction book? I remember a might have been a cover uh, of like of somebody in a sh- like standing out in the street for a gunfight thing, and the butt of a gun had like an elder yeah, sign. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't the, think it was. It was a um, that's a, that's a BRP book though. Oh, yeah, maybe that's like what it was, Dead though. Gulch or something. I think is what it's called. Okay, it's a, with Chaosium stuff and BRP based sorts. Very it's crossover. Yeah. Not a far step yeah. to consider it kind of a call of cthulhu type of thing devil's gulch the exact devil's same gulch. rule system that yeah. yeah devil's gulch is a brp book and then for their mythos fiction line they do have a cthulhu frontier which is uh cthulhu in the wild okay. west Love to hear from our listeners. We have a lot of different ways you can reach out to us. Our main contact email address is feedback at mu-podcast.com. We also have a Twitter account at mu underscore podcast, and you can join our IRC channel on the feedback page on the website. We have a Providence, Rhode Island voicemail number at 401-400-MUP. That's 401-400-687. Or you can use our speak pipe link located on the website. Ask a question, leave us a line, or say who you are, and I'm enrolled at the Miskatonic University podcast, and we'd love to get a hearty go pods for our home team, the Fighting Cephalopods. Our website is mu-podcast.com, and you can find our show notes for this episode at mu-podcast.com slash 77. That's the number 77. Our forums are located at mu-podcast.com slash campus. 
Come join the community. Be part of the conversation. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Class is dismissed. The Call of Cthulhu role-playing game is property of Chaosium, Inc. The written works of H.P. Lovecraft are held in the United States public domain. All other works mentioned in this podcast are the property of their respective owners. Original content of this show is copyright of the Miskatonic University podcast under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike license. I'm Keeper Murph. In this episode, we discuss getting last the getting last the effects of overthinking it. Huh? I'm Keeper uh-huh. Murph. And in this episode, we discuss getting. I'm Keeper Murph, and in, damn it, man, who is this? I'm Keep. It's Keeper Murph. Okay. Yeah. And I'm Keeper John. And in this, oh, good God, who are you? I have no. <laughs> idea. Okay.